0: Hello and welcome to Freelance Corner. I'm Jess and this week I'm joined by my co-host Christina who's my colleague at Ipse in Freelance Corner. Welcome Tina.
1: Hiya. Today we're chatting to Sarah Townsend, author of Survival Skills for Freelancers. Welcome Sarah.
2: Hello, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on. I
0: feel like I should be honest and admit that I bought your book months ago or actually it was bought for me as a present. Um, I think in the summer, I'm not sure when it came out but it, I think I got it when it just just came out anyway i really enjoyed it so i was so over the moon when you got in touch via email because it's just so lovely to meet you and i've got so many questions
2: about your book oh that's lovely to hear yeah um it was launched on national freelancers day actually the 18th of june so it would have been back in the summer as well For
0: the people who are listening who haven't heard about survival skills, could you tell us uh, what the book is and what made you write the book? Yeah,
2: certainly. So it is what I call a heart on your sleeve reality check to the reality of freelance versus the expectation. And it provides practical tips and support and inspiration and advice, not just from me based on my own 21 year freelance journey, but also from over 100 other freelancers in all different circles, so all different industries. Every chapter ends with quotes and advice from the freelance community. And I start by busting the eight myths of freelance life, sort of sharing the secrets and surprises that I've learned along the way on my own freelance journey, and sharing practical tips and advice but in a really warm way, with a focus on mental health and well-being. Because I think too many business books out there, they're great at the practical side and strategies and the tips and the tricks, but they almost forget about the person. And as freelancers, we are all individual business owners. I think that mindset of being just a freelancer is quite damaging. And I think the quicker we can accept that we are actually running a freelance business and we take that more seriously, our clients will start to take it more seriously too. So I guess the reason I started to write the book was I. Got to 20 years of my own freelance journey. And when I first started, I was 29. I was new to freelance life and I was also new to being a mum. I started both things at exactly the same time and I knew nothing about either. So back then, there was no social media. So there was no community to speak of that we're also lucky to have now. And I really struggled. I found A lot of the things that I was expecting from freelance life, so the freedom and the flexibility, the chance to get paid for doing that thing that I love doing, which is the writing and the editing, I was focused on that and how great that would be. And then I got caught out by the fact that I had no boundaries. My work life balance was through the floor, it was absolutely shocking. I was stressed and overwhelmed, on the verge of burnout, and I didn't know how to cope with the issues that were coming up for me. Things like that feeling that we have to do everything ourselves from admin, sales, marketing, accounts, IT, even being your own life coach, right? So I wanted to explain to people that there are better ways of dealing with these things and kind of really to provide them with the support, the advice and the practical tips so that they could I guess, supercharge their own freelance career and get to a position of success or whatever their definition of success is, but a lot, lot quicker than it took me. And with a lot fewer mistakes.
1: Yeah, I think that's great that you've taken kind of all of your learnings throughout your career as a freelancer and made it into something that people who are new to freelancing can really take all that advice and put that towards them starting out. Um, So it sounds like the perfect guide for someone who is just starting out. Do you have any tips for someone at the start of their freelance journey?
2: Yeah, well, this is the thing that I struggle to, to isolate just one tip because when I first started writing the book, I didn't have in my mind whether it was going to be for new freelancers or experienced freelancers. And in the past six months, I've had 230 odd Amazon reviews, which is just in itself phenomenal. But I would say about half of them are from new freelancers and half of them are from experienced freelancers. So I think the fact that the advice in there is relevant to anybody who's self-employed, small business owner, you don't have to be new to the freelance game to benefit from the advice it contains. But certainly there are a lot of things that I think when you first start out, you just don't realize. So as I mentioned already, that pressure that you feel like You want to spend seven hours a day, five days a week doing whatever it is that you really enjoy, that kind of special skill, and getting paid for it. But actually, you're taken aback by just how much time is taken up by doing these other things. And I think it's really easy to get, particularly if you've gone to freelance life from being employed, you find you get off this kind of hamster wheel of employment And you get onto an altogether different hamster wheel, which is just as much pressured and um, contains just as much stress. And instead of you being your own boss, you find that you've got lots and lots of mini bosses because you're letting your clients dictate the hours that you work and the hours that you respond to their emails and messages and what they're going to pay you instead of you saying, this is my fee. They're telling you, this is what I'm going to pay. So there's a lot in the book about boundaries. I guess if I have to narrow it down to one thing, I think being prepared for the unpredictability of freelance life is something that everybody struggles with. Because however far down your freelance journey you are, those highs and lows, peaks and troughs, whatever you want to call it, you, it's very easy to focus on the lack of work and where's my next client coming from? Where's my next job? You know, who am I going to deal with? What am I going to be doing two weeks from now? Oh, I've just finished this big project and now I've got nothing to do. And you feel this kind of fear and anxiety around the lack of work. But I think if you focus on the lack of work I don't know if you're familiar with this concept of you get more of what you focus on. So kind of in terms of if you focus on good things happening, you tend to see more good things. If you focus on being lucky or feeling lucky, you tend to be more tuned into those moments that you kind of go, oh, wow, I'm so fortunate that this happened to me. But equally, it works with negatives. So if you focus on the fact that you don't have work and you're scared about the fact that you don't know where your next job is coming from and your next paycheck, it tends to perpetuate itself. So you get so scrunched up in your head about, oh my gosh, I'm scared, I don't know what to do. So what I always say is take the fear out of the quiet times by having a list of practical, proactive, productive tasks that you can instead focus on. So see that quiet time as a gift instead of something to be scared of. Because actually, when you're further down the line and you're consistently busy, you'd give your right arm at times to actually have that downtime that you can focus on defining your niche or really getting clear on who your target audience is, working on content, perhaps writing a bank of blog posts to put out over the next six months, or even kind of getting upskilling on something like Canva that you can start. Creating great graphics for your social, or just catching up on podcasts or reading great business books that inspire you. If you switch your focus to, wow, this is such a gift, I'm going to work on my business and I'm going to really make the most of marketing myself and putting myself out there and being proactive, you'll be amazed at just how quickly that situation turns around and how quickly the work starts flowing back in. Have you guys found that in your own careers? Yeah, I know
0: exactly what you mean. And it's about what you focus on and what you decide that you're going to notice in the world. I think that's absolutely right. And that's something that as I've developed as a freelancer, that's something that I've really noticed. You really have to look for the positives in situations. And it does help, I think, more generally in life if you can focus on the positives. For sure. So I thought that was really Good advice. And what you were saying about the the downtime at the moment and how you can use this downtime, I guess everyone has had an enforced downtime to some degree over the last year because of coronavirus. I wondered how you've worked in the last year and how you think freelancers in general have kind of managed this last year. Gosh, well,
2: (laughs) it's not been a standard year for me, that's for sure. But mainly because... (laughs) I had just sent off the first draft of the manuscript of Survival Skills to my kind of test readers, my circle of brilliance and support. And and then this thing called the pandemic happened. (laughs) And uh, I've written the book and it was all kind of ready to go. And then, yeah, the whole world turned upside down. And then everybody was in this situation where they were working from home. Because one of the things that I talk about a lot in the book is the kind of practical side about how to cope with working from home, how to be productive when you're surrounded by distractions, how to stay focused, and all of these kinds of things. And I was really on edge, because I didn't want anybody to think that I was trying to I guess, capitalise on something bad that was going on in the world, but I'd I'd long written it by then. So for me, this year has been really manic. And it's been manic because I've had probably more client work than ever. And on top of that, because I self-published the book, I haven't had any support with the marketing or the PR. And I've just been so busy doing talks and webinars and podcast interviews. And um, it all takes up so much time. I think I thought that you write a book, you self-publish a book, and then you go back to the day job. And it's not been like that. So in complete fairness, I don't think I'm representative of the freelance community this year at all. But yeah, a lot of freelancers I know have been busier than ever. Obviously, People who work in certain sectors, such as events and hospitality, I feel for them so much. They're going through such a tough time. At the same time, a lot of events people I know have totally pivoted to produce some incredible online events that have been a big success and have really supported the freelance community. And that's what we all need. I think one really positive thing to come out of the pandemic, and I don't know if you've experienced this yourselves, is this growing appreciation of the importance of community. Because even the freelancers who were working in co-working spaces or coffee shops are not feeling isolated from everybody else out there. Those people are having to go back to working. Maybe they're not lucky enough to have a separate home office. Maybe they're just working from a corner of their kitchen table. But it's affected everybody. And particularly if you're extrovert like I am and you get your energy from being around people, it does come with a lot of difficulties. But because of that, I found that people have been more open to talking about the challenges and the mental health issues and the anxiety that can come with being on your own and feeling like you're the only person out there going through these struggles like the self-doubt and the fear of failure and the fear of not having anybody to bounce ideas off and you're effectively operating in a bit of an echo chamber you've got nobody to sanity check and to bounce ideas off so yeah certainly a greater appreciation of the need for a good strong community and just that general openness and people being a bit more real I've gone completely away from your question, Jess. I totally apologize. But I think it's an important thing to take stock of and to recognize because they are real positives.
1: Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. And I think that kind of throughout that answer, you touched on so many kind of aspects of freelancing and and qualities that freelancers have that maybe make a good freelancer, good in kind of air quotes, like resilience. So being able to take things as they come and... Sometimes it won't go your way, like a pandemic will hit when you've just published a book. And- <laughs> I didn't
2: get a launch party. <laughs> Got it. I didn't get a launch party. Well, we'll have to fix that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I
1: think also just flexibility, as you said, you know, so many freelancers who have adapted because of this. And as you said, you also need that kind of positivity and optimism so that you can start to see more positive things come your way with all of those kind of traits in mind do you think it you need to be a certain type of person to freelance or do you think that anyone can do it and kind of grow and become those things
2: I certainly think that there are traits that stand you in good stead and that will really help you certainly it helps to be a self-starter so if you struggle with self-motivation or focus or discipline or you're easily distracted. These are all things that you can work on. And I think that's the great thing. There's a a quote in the book where I say that you can reframe most weaknesses as strengths. So just to backtrack a little bit, when I very first started writing the book, I put a tweet out saying, to be a successful freelancer, you need... And I got so many responses from the freelance community. And that's actually... that. One tweet is what inspired me to incorporate other people's voices within the book, and that was really incredible. But there were certain answers that cropped up time and again, and two of those were thick skin and patience. I'm really open in the book about the fact that I have neither of those qualities. I'm really sensitive, like hypersensitive. If I get a hundred great comments. And one negative one, the one that I'll focus on will be the negative one, and I'll stew and I'll go, oh my God, you know, what could I have done differently? You know? And that's that that's not a great quality. And that's not something that is helpful for freelancers. Equally being impatient, I could kind of go, okay, so you really need sometimes to have a bit of tenacity to be prepared to to chase people and to follow up. And sometimes it involves losing your pride a little bit, swallowing your pride. And, but at the same time, people who are impatient make things happen. So I'm very driven and I will make things happen. And that's a great way of turning a negative into a positive. In terms of, so there's a grid in the book really early on. And I think actually, if you download the free sample chapter, I think you may actually get as far up as the grid because it's quite an early page, And that covers all the most popular responses to that question. So there are things like um, you need to be motivated, driven, tenacious, curious. Curiosity is a really good one. But there are always exceptions to the rule, aren't there? A lot of people think you have to be extrovert to be freelance. You have to be really confident. And I was really shy at school. I always used to think, oh no, I couldn't do that. And I was saying to you guys before we went on air about how even six months ago, I would never have dreamed of doing a podcast chat. It just intimidated the heck out of me. And now six months later, I've done maybe 30. So I think everybody can take opportunities even if you're not confident you don't see yourself as confident and you fear failure straying into slightly different territory here but if you take those opportunities the first time you do something it boosts your confidence so if you identify as not being especially confident you might do really well with a job like if you're doing graphic design for example You can probably get away with just doing the design and not having too much interaction with clients, but you still have to put yourself out there. And that is uncomfortable for a lot of people. The more comfortable you are with And I'm not talking about being salesy, just to get that clear. You don't want to go joining a group of freelancers or a group of local business people or whatever and kind of go, oh, hey, I'm Sarah. I'm a copywriter. Let me write your website for you. You'll alienate people really quickly. But if you put out little bits of value and share tips and share your expertise and your experience and you get known for being friendly, and kind, and somebody that people would like to work with, that is how you build your reputation. And yeah, and I think everybody can do that, whether you're the right, in air quotes, whether you are the right kind of person for freelance life or not. So yeah, the matrix is there. And I would say if you read the list of qualities and you went, oh gosh, I can't identify with any of these 30 plus traits then you might be in trouble but equally I don't think anybody has all of them right (laughs) nobody is completely perfect but somewhere in the middle is a middle ground and an appreciation that you can work with your strengths and you can improve and learn and grow as an individual and as a business owner that's a really good
0: answer. but I guess that's kind of a myth of freelance life. Um, and for people who haven't read your book, a really a big part of the book is about the myths of freelancing. And there are so many myths that we've come across over the years. Uh, I know Tina has worked at the Association of Independent Professionals and the Self-Employed IPSE for years. God, how many years have you worked at IPSE, Tina? Nearly four now. <laughs> Honestly, like uh, it's a it's a long time and there's a, a so much experience that Tina's got now in it say and understanding freelancers that I'm sure she'd agree with me. But um it's a lot different when you do it to how it kind of looks from the outside. And I think there are lots of myths around freelancing. So without giving away too much of your book, because I do genuinely think it is a, a must read for for freelancers and definitely helped me as I was kind of starting my freelance journey in, in, well, I started in May, but it really helped those first few months. Are there any myths that are particularly big for you about freelancing or anything that you wish you had known before
2: you started? All of them, really. This is why the eight myths in the book are the eight myths in the book, because they are the things I think when you start out you don't know what you don't know. So it's not as if you can kind of go out there and go, oh, hey, can you tell me how to do this? Because you might not realize it's a problem until you're butting heads against it time and time again. For me, one of the biggest is self-doubt, imposter syndrome, fear of failure. And I think everybody can relate to this. I did a bit of research on well-known famous people, celebrities, whatever you want to call them. And I found that Tom Hanks, Serena Williams, Maya Angelou, Lady Gaga, Natalie Portman, all these really incredible people who come across as, wow, they've got so much talent. They must surely be completely just their confidence must be unshakable. But they have all admitted publicly that they suffer from an imposter syndrome. So I think knowing how common it is, in itself, is a comfort. People might look at me and see that I'm active on social media and doing these talks all over the place. And if I hadn't told you that I would never have dreamt of doing something like that, even just six months ago, you might not have guessed. But I think it's easy to fall into that trap of comparing yourself to someone else who appears to be doing the same job as you and to kind of go, oh, they're doing so much better than I am. And they're everywhere on social or they're really confident speaking or they're better at getting PR for their project or they're doing a course and they're selling loads of webinars or whatever it is they're doing. But I think one thing that's really important to mention, I actually cover six coping strategies for imposter syndrome and self-doubt in the book. I think in a nutshell, if I can remember all of them, very, very briefly, they are um, cut yourself some slack and accept that everybody makes mistakes kind of give yourself permission to fail because you fail you learn you grow so it's part of being human isn't it another one is don't compare yourself so that kind of comparisonitis that trap that we all fall into especially on social media social is the worst for this and everybody does it and effectively that is comparing your inside so your kind of deeper feelings to Everybody else is outside, which is those edited, polished highlights that they want you to see. If you find yourself going down that trap, give yourself permission to have a social media detox for 24 hours. Just stay off it, nip it in the bud before it gets too damaging, because it is really damaging to your self worth and your self esteem. Keep talking about it. I think just that understanding that it's something that everybody goes through helps to normalize it. And then you kind of think, okay, I'm not alone. Reward yourself for taking risks. So, what I was talking about earlier on about grasping opportunities, I don't think I can quite remember it, but there is a Richard Branson quote about if someone asks you to do something, grasp the opportunity with both hands and then learn how to do it. Don't kind of go, oh God, I don't think I can do this. If you're prepared to put yourself out there, you can get some really incredible gains to your confidence and how you see yourself as a professional and as a freelancer but also how other people see you. Just by taking a risk and putting yourself out there, it's an incredible way to grow. And I think finally, I know this isn't six, but some of them kind of overlap slightly, let's just say. If you remember to celebrate your wins and take stock of where you are now and just how far you've come, I am a shocker at doing this. I never stop. I'm always on to the next thing. So long story short, my mum's terminally ill. And um, we're actually kind of surprised that she's still with us. She's amazing. She's just incredible. But I kind of had this thing, oh, I want to make my mom really proud of me before we lose her. So I was kind of like, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to help all these people along the way. And then I was kind of like, oh, I want my book to be a bestseller. So then I was like, I want to focus on it being a bestseller. And then when it launched, had this big kind of Amazing storm of support on social media on the launch day. And then I was kind of like, oh, I want to get to a hundred reviews. So I'm always on to the next thing. But if we do that, we're never really stopping to celebrate the things that we have achieved along the way, the little steps. They might not even be little. I mean, getting a book to be a bestseller in itself is actually a really big thing on its own. Even if I got zero reviews, it still would have been an achievement. So Take time to take stock of what you've achieved and celebrate those wins. And one really nice way that I do this, at the very start of the first lockdown, you know, way back in March last year, I tried to get this trending on Twitter, hashtag three small wins, because everybody was struggling with bad days. Everybody was feeling discombobulated. We didn't know what was going on and we didn't really know how to cope with it. So I was trying to get people to reframe your day, however bad your day is, we can all come up with three things that we've achieved that are tiny. It might even just be getting dressed one morning, you know, if you're sort of struggling with how you're feeling with your mental health, maybe feeling a bit depressed, maybe struggling with anxiety. Some days, all you can face to do is actually get dressed, get yourself some breakfast, sit on the sofa. That's okay but on a better day, it might be you want a new client. It might be you've got a testimonial from a client, or it might just be that you've got 10 new followers on social media or something like that. So by tuning in, like we were saying earlier on about the people that think they're lucky are more tuned in to spotting lucky things happening to them. Whereas people On the flip side, people who think, oh, I'm so unlucky, oh, you know, bad luck surrounds me. Every time something happens that could be reframed as, oh, you know, so unfortunate this has happened to me now, it self-perpetuates. So the more you focus on those tiny wins and the good things that have happened to you in the day, do it at the end of the day, every single day, tiny, tiny little habit change. But it can make a really big difference.
0: And I really agree, as I said before, about what you're saying about focus on the positive and focus on being lucky. I think it makes such a difference. We normally stop here to have a freelancer of the week, but this week we simply couldn't choose between all the fantastic nominations. There were so many uh, and so many people had these fantastic achievements. We really couldn't decide. So this week, our freelancer of the week is the listener, you, whoever is listening to this podcast. This past year has been so difficult for a wide variety of reasons, whether you've lost your work, are struggling to homeschool and freelance at the same time. Or you're just incredibly busy. We wanted to recognize the achievement of being freelance in an unprecedented year, to use the catchphrase. Um, It's not easy. So, well done. And thank you for your continued support of Freelance Corner and for listening. Now, we have some questions sent in from freelancers to ask you, Sarah.
1: Chloe asks I started freelancing in May in a very male dominated environment. I'm one of the only women who works in my field and the only freelancer. I struggle with imposter syndrome, the feeling that I'm not worthy of being here. Do you have any advice about how to overcome it?
2: Yeah, so going back to the coping strategies that I mentioned earlier, I think it's its a shame that she mentions that she's in a male-dominated environment because it almost feels as if she feels isolated in that environment because she doesn't have perhaps support from other women around her. So perhaps, Chloe, I don't know if you can find or if you're already perhaps part of an active community that you could lean on and find other people who are just prepared to admit that they all feel the same you might feel that the guys in your office never get self-doubt They might be a bit kind of hey hey you know bravado and all this kind of thing as guys can be sorry um but if it's any consolation Every single person I spoke to in the process of writing Survival Skills, male and female, admitted that they still get the self-doubt and the wobbles and the feelings of not being good enough, feelings of being a bit of a fraud. There is an association called Leapers who carry out a mental health survey every year. I quote it quite heavily in the book because I just think it's so supportive. And they found that 76% of freelancers don't feel talented enough. That is shocking. That figure is so high. So I think what compounds that feeling of, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get found out. I'm not good enough. I'm a fraud. Is that thought that you're the only person feeling that way. So perhaps knowing that that isn't the case and perhaps finding a few trusted female colleagues or people who do a similar job to you or just people like-minded people who are prepared to kind of open up and support you through that I think that could really help sort of lean on the community if you can. That's a very good point
0: and yeah community is something that we're really big on at Freelance Corner as the platform for the UK's freelancers but also at IPSE who uh, launched Freelance Corner We're a massive community of members and we do try to support our members as much as we can with networking events. I think it's so important to be in touch with the community around you because so many freelancers face very similar issues, even if it's in completely different industries. So yeah, maybe Chloe doesn't have many allies or, or women to chat to in her own industry. There may be other women in other industries who have similar experiences and might be able to help, even if it's not directly relevant. Our next question is from Molly and she says, I'm currently in a full-time job and I freelance on the side. I'm nervous about being able to find freelance work. Do
2: you have any advice about when to make the jump? That's a really tough question to answer because I think for everybody it's different. I think it's a really great idea what you're doing. You're not in an employed role and going, okay, I'm going to cut all ties with employment, and suddenly from day one, start being freelance. So you're in a really strong position. You've got the opportunity, presumably, to start putting yourself out there, putting the feelers out, starting to spread the word about the fact that you're doing this on the side. This is kind of your side hustle. If you like that expression, I'm not the biggest fan. And what else is really positive about your situation is, The fact that when you first go freelance, it's important to have savings behind you. Can't stress that enough. When you first start out, even if you are lucky enough to get a client and paid work from day one, and let's be honest, that does not often happen, it might take you a month to finish that job. And then it might take you a few days longer to invoice. But then your client may have 60-day payment terms. And even if your payment terms are 10 days, they might be a nasty piece of work who is insisting on sticking to their payment terms. And you might not get paid for two months. So that's a very, very long time between invoicing and getting paid. And cash flow, particularly when you first start out, can be an absolute nightmare. So it's really important to start your freelance career with a pot of savings behind you, like an emergency fund. I always recommend three to six months. Should be six months at a minimum, really. And another thing that's really positive about that is that if you did go out from day one and you found it took you some time to get some work and some paying clients in, you've actually got those savings to fall back on. So this is living expenses, the basics, your rent, your mortgage, or your bills, all the things that you can't avoid, not the kind of going shopping and the the luxuries, but just have three to six months of savings behind you. I would definitely say keep going in the day job while you build up that pot of savings. And then when you feel like you've got some clients interested, you can spend this time to work on your brand, to get your niche right, to start kind of refining your offer and thinking about what it is that you have as a business person, as a freelancer, that makes you stand out from the competition, So there's so much you can be doing behind the scenes. With me, I did all of that when I was on maternity leave. So it was a similar situation. I was getting paid maternity pay and I was working on my branding and what I wanted to do in the background. So kind of get your social media presence out there, start telling people, spread the word. And um, I feel like you'll know when you're ready, but make sure it's when you've got some savings behind you.
1: Thanks, Sarah. I think that's a really great answer. I remember I asked a poll question on Twitter once about whether or not people started out their freelance career as a side hustle while they still had full time work or whether or not they just jumped right into it. And there's actually such a mixed bag of responses. There's not really just one solution for everyone or one way to go about it for everyone. But for someone like Molly, who's nervous, you're right, it's good advice to just have that safety net of that full time job or those cash reserves. And for our listeners, remember that if you have a question about freelancing that you want us to put to an expert, then drop us an email at content at freelancecorner.co.uk.
0: That's it for this episode. You'll be able to find a lot of information in the show notes below and on the Freelance Corner website. Thanks for listening. Join Freelance Corner, the online platform for the UK's freelancers at freelancecorner.co.uk for regular guides, tools and content on growing your freelance business. Please subscribe to our podcast, like, share, and leave us a review. And let us know
1: what we should quiz an expert on next time. We hope our listeners stay safe at home. And thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. Pleasure. Thank you.